Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Hey, are we ready to dive in? The blessed life. On your mark, get set, and everyone said, go. Okay, the blessed life. Uh, the scripture for this series is based out of Acts chapter 20, verse 35, which the context here is this is the historian Luke wrote Acts in the book of Luke, and they were actually one compilation. And so this is something that Luke wrote down, and Luke was actually documenting a, a uh, trip that Paul had and one of the places that Paul went to was the city of Ephesus. And when he went there, he planted a church. And Luke actually documents him encouraging the church before he's about to leave. So Paul, he goes there. He plants the church. He checks up on him. And so he's about ready to leave. And this is Luke documenting something that Paul said. And what Paul is saying here, he's actually quoting the words of Jesus because in the Bible, these words are actually read. And if you have a Bible and you're like, why are some words in red? That simply means what? Jesus said them. Okay? So... Acts chapter 20, verse number 35, this is Paul speaking. This was being documented by the historian Luke, and this is what it says. This is Paul talking. He says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, remember these words that Jesus said. It is more blessed to do what? Give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So the blessed life is a life that gives. A blessed life is a life that gives. So this is going to be a series. The blessed life is going to be a series about giving. It's a series about giving. Now, some of you, if you've been in church any amount of time, some of you are you're like, see, I knew we shouldn't have gone today. <sighs> like, dang it. I knew I shouldn't have gone today, right? Because when you talk about giving in church and, and you know whether it's about you know, like, like, like just whatever, like when you talk about giving, like there are some people that have like legitimate traumas. Right? Because some of you maybe grew up in a church where, like, your church used fear, manipulation, and guilt to get you to give. So it was like, if you don't give, you're cursed. If you don't give, you're terrible. And then they would try to use slick marketing and all of these things to try to draw you to emotionally give. Right? So whenever you hear about a church talking about giving, then, it can, then <laughs> you kind of go back to that. Right? Isn't it crazy how experiences can shape us? But you have to watch, you have to make sure that one experience you had, you work through it so you don't project it onto the next. Some of y'all, the reason why you keep having the same experience in relationships is because you're projecting onto the next person what you experience. Okay? So you've got to, to make sure, like, if, so, you know, it's so, you know, people have church hurt, and I believe church hurt is real and serious and a legitimate issue, but what I see is people talk more about it than they want to work through it. And if you don't work through it, what happens is, is you will project on a good church something you experienced at a not-so-good church. And you'll actually miss the good things that God has for you. Okay? So I get the fact of, like, because I grew up in a church, man, Malachi 3, every sun Sunday. If you don't tithe, you're cursed. But me, I was thinking, like, rationally. I was like, bro, I see a lot of people around here not tithing. They're doing just fine. <laughs> right? Right? So, so I understand how that emotion could 
come up. Also, too, you, you know, some of you might start to feel guilty, like actually a legitimate guilt, like, yeah, I know I should do it. I know it's a value. I know it's important. But you might say, like, man, like, budget's tight right now. Groceries, eggs are like nine bucks a carton, you know, like, it's like, like bruh, milk is like $7. Like, you know, it's crazy how much food's gone up, gas has gone, gone up, you know, and, and you know, so, you, so you're kind of like, that is really, really tight. You might say, like, man, like, I know it's important, but maybe you just don't have the tools to budget right, right? Like, like, like some of you, you have no budget, so you're literally flying by the seat of your pants, hoping that in your bank account, by the end of the day or the next pay period, you can still get enough money to buy Starbucks so you can get it. And so it's not that you don't have a desire to, you just don't have any discipline. You just don't have, have the tools necessary to put generosity and giving in your budget. Thirdly, some of, some of you likely have trust issues with the church, like legitimate trust, like trust issues, right? Because you grew up at a church where they said they were going to use the money for this, and they went and used it for something else, and da-da-da-da. And, and let me just say this, right? Like, what do you always hear on the news about churches? Scandals, embezzlement, pastor stole the money, secretary ran off with the money, pastor did something stupid, they spent money on all this stuff, right? It's, it's like you never hear about the 99% of churches that are doing it right. You only hear about the 1% that do something stupid. But if you're not careful, a byproduct of that will be is you will start projecting onto good churches what you hear in the media, so then you start to paint with a wide brush through one story the whole totality of that thing, right? And so what I would encourage you with is, yes, there are some pastors and churches that handle things wrong and they do things stupid. We, y'all, we have broken people leading churches too, okay? Just because we're pastors doesn't mean we're perfect. We have hurt that we have to walk through. We have stuff that we have to walk through. And what I've seen is there are a lot of pastors that do dumb things, not because they want to, but because they're hurting. Some are greedy though. But the, but the thing is this, right? Like, just be careful of, about having a trust issue, not because of legitimate issues in the place you're at, but because of everything you hear, because the media is trying to get you to be jaded towards the church. It's trying to, right? Fourthly, some of, some of you, um, when you hear about giving, like kind of like this kind of like legal defense rises up. So you have this internal, aren't we good at having internal lawyers? <laughs> like I've got a great lawyer inside of me. I've trained him for years. And we're actually, pre- like, like we actually do this because it's part of our fallen nature, right? Like think about the very first thing when Adam and Eve sinned and God said, yo, what's up with that? They blamed. The, well, it was the woman. It was the devil. You know, it's like we, we have this internal defense. And so when sometimes when we talk about giving, we can start to kind of be like, you know, start to kind of compartmentalize. So it's like, well, I give money, or some people like what I've heard them say is, I give my time because God wants my time. He don't, want, he don't want my money. I'm like, okay. I don't know what book you're reading, but... <laughs> I don't know if it's this one, but somebody will say like, well, you know what? God just wants, wants my money. And, not, and, and it's like we can almost like play this defense game or this compartmentalization game when y'all, God doesn't need anything we have. God is not like, oh my God, how am I going to get my will done without Vicky? Or how am I going to get my will done with, without John? When God asks us to do something, it is not for his benefit. 
Whose benefit is it for? Ours. It is for our benefit. So God is not from a place of need saying, hey, please do this. But we have got to make sure that, that we realize when we're talking about giving here, we are talking about money, yes, but we're just not talking like we're talking about you transforming into a person that is a giver, not us compartmentalizing between what you give so you don't have to do the other thing. Because what I find is some people, well, I'll give my time so I don't got to give my money. I'll give my money so I don't got to give my time. And we kind of play this compartmentalization game thinking we can jade God or we can kind of jip God one way because we do something strong here. That makes sense? We're not just after your habits. We're after your heart here. And really, we're not trying to get something from you. We're trying to get somebody and something to you. Even Lifehouse Church, y'all, I trust the Lord to fund this ministry. But the way it's always been, God uses his people to fund his church. The Old Testament, God used who? The Israelites to fund the temple. Even, do you know Jesus was funded? He was Jesus. Luke chapter 8, read it, verses 1 through 3. Jesus was supported by women. Out of their own means, it says, that sowed into his ministry so he could do full-time ministry. You see Paul, he's talking to different churches. They would give. So, so what I'm saying is, is y'all say, I trust the Lord to fund this ministry because he's done it for five years. Praise God, we're financially healthy. I got no debt. We're doing great. We're doing like many of you give, give generously. We're grateful and thankful for that. So, so this is not a message series to wrangle out some more of your change. This is, my heart in this is that we would individually and collectively and corporately strive to have a heart that gives. But see, the giving, that, that blessed life is a life that gives. So we've got three objectives today, right? Like kind of, so to, to kind of give you a place of where we're headed, right? So we've, we've got three main objectives today as we begin this series, okay? Um, and and that, that's what I'm doing. I'm laying a foundation for this series. I haven't preached in four weeks. So this could be a long one, y'all, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm going to try to not make it long, but uh, so this could go really well or really bad. We'll see. Uh, but the objectives today, as we dive in, I'm laying the foundation for this series, is number one, we got to make sure we have a right definition of what blessed is. Got to make sure our terms are right. Secondly, believe that God is a giver. Okay, and thirdly, get the goal of giving right. So let's dive into this first one, right definition of what blessed is. Isn't it true sometimes the reason you have so many arguments with your wife, family, with, with your work, is you have terms that you're using different dictionaries to define? right? You've got a definition of what a word means. They've got a definition of what a word means, and you're operating from that definition without actually sharing the definition, so there's misunderstanding. Men, it's kind of like whenever you ask your wife, hey, how are you doing? She responds back with, I'm doing okay. Yeah, fine. Yeah, right? But I'm able to say, I'm doing okay, right? So there's a lot of things that go into that Communication. If she says, I'm doing okay. Men, let me just help you out right, right now. Stephanie, please, please help me. You know, please correct me, okay? But when she's, at least what I interpret when I hear my wife say, I'm doing okay, that to me is an invitation to ask deeping, deeper probing questions. Because she says she's okay. But her definition of okay might not be my definition of okay, right? Or if she says, I'm doing okay, 
men, it is not okay. You are not okay. And she is not okay. And though she's saying she's okay, and you heard she's okay, your definition of okay is probably different than her definition of okay. So it's not okay, okay? But, but that's why, like, you want to make sure, like, definitions matter, y'all. Definitions are so important. Even some of the disagreements you're having right now at your work and family are tied to the fact you have not clarified what you mean by what you're saying. And you have not clarified, and they have not clarified, so you're operating by two different definitions and dictionaries, and you wonder why you can't communicate. So when we talk about this word blessed, even when I say that word blessed, many of, of, of you have a lot of, like a, a, a conglomeration of what that word means. For some of you, it's affluence and wealth and sitting on a beach sipping dockeries. Dockery, is that the word? daiquiris. Tells you how many of those I drink. And if I did, they would be virgin. Right? But, but, but some of you blessed is like a beautiful house, a beautiful home. It's a life absent of conflict. Just, right? For some of you, blessed is having a fast car, being a rebel, being able to do what you want. Like, what I'm saying is there's a lot of definitions of what blessed is. And here's the question. How do you define blessed? Is your definition personal, cultural, or biblical? Because if you're operating out of an idea of what you deem blessed as, and God has a whole different idea, you might be climbing the ladder of what you deem success, but it's on the wrong wall. You've got it on your wall instead of taking your ladder and putting it on God's wall. You're climbing what you deem is the blessed wall, but God has a whole different definition of what the blessed wall is, and your ladder is on the wrong wall. And so we have to make sure that when we talk about this word blessed, when we're talking about the blessed life, we have clarity on what terms are. Because what I have found is that when we talk about blessed, many people always tie it to what someone has. They always tie it to what someone owns. They always tie it to how someone looks. Big, strong, healthy, nice car, beautiful home. Someone like Carrie Jones. I'm just, just kidding. Always got a joke on. And that's what we will deem blessed. And then if we see someone that maybe, you know, that, that like very rarely do we look at somebody but is privately being extremely generous and privately a giving person, do we look at them and be like, that's blessed? No. One of the things Jesus came to do was to redefine what blessed was. You see, at the beginning of his ministry, Matthew chapter 5, which Matthew is one of the four gospels written, it was an eyewitness account by, by the apostle Matthew. Because I think sometimes whenever we think about the Bible, we think it was some book that just dropped out the sky, per, you know, it just, it, it just dropped out the sky, fell on the ground, and someone dusted it up, we have the Bible. No, this like, Matthew was an eyewitness account, saw the life of Jesus, and then put a written account of his life, and from his perspective of Jesus' life, ministry, and what you see Matthew recording and writing down in uh, starting in chapter 5 is he writes down a time where Jesus was teaching on what he means by blessed. Because in the time Jesus came in, it was kind of the same way now. You, like People who were blessed were those who had a high religious position. So if they were a Pharisee or a Sadducee, someone who had a high-ranking re religious position, oh, they're blessed. Someone has material abundance. Ooh, 
they're, they're blessed. But Jesus came on the scene, and one of the things that ticked people off is he kind of redefined what blessed was. So we're going to read through 12 scripture or 12 verses here in Matthew 5. This is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, and this is in the message translation. So this is a paraphrased version, but this is, but just the way that it was explained, I was like, our church has got to hear this. Because honestly, if you don't walk away, if you walk away with, excuse me, if, if all you walk away with is what you hear in these verses, this, you're you're good. I don't want you to walk out after we get done reading them. Don't walk out. There's a lot more to go. But I, I'm just saying this is going to be food for your soul if you'll let it. If you'll even read this every day this week and just remind yourself about what blessed really is. Because some of y'all are, you're blessed and you don't even know it. You're so blessed and you don't even know it. And you're actually missing the blessings you do have because you're focused on the blessings you don't have. And redefining blessed today is going to, you're going to actually walk out of here feeling like you're holding a treasure trove because you're going to actually see how blessed you really are according to what Jesus says is blessed. So here we go, Matthew 5, verse 1, verse 1 and 2. It says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, so those were his, who were his disciples, the committed climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. Whenever the word, whenever the word blessed comes up, will you just say it together, okay? You're, when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there is more of God in his rule. You're, when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're, when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less, that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're, when you've worked up a good appetite for God, he's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're, when you care, at the moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. You're, when you get your inside world your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Y'all, that's a powerful one right there. Get the inside right. Get the inside right. You're blessed. Oh, sorry. You're blessed. blessed. When you can show people how to cooperate instead of computer fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves... Every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you or to discredit me, what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. Do you hear, was there anything in that definition that referenced the Jesus reference to you owning something? No. Because what Jesus was essentially, let me break it down for you. Blessed is a who, not a have. Blessed, Jesus was saying, you are blessed if you are moving. Here's the thing. A blessed life is one that is consistently moving in the direction of becoming more like God. This is what blessing is, guys. That is why it doesn't matter what you own, what you have, what your 401k have, what your bank account has, all these things that our world puts blessed on. No matter where you're starting from, you have the potential to move in the trajectory of living a blessed life because you can change who you are. As 
you follow God. Jesus completely redefined what blessed was. So when we're talking about blessed, we're talking about a who, not what you have. So when I talk about the blessed life, I'm not talking about, okay, the blessed life, let's get you more cars, let's get you a better house, let's get you a better job, let's get you a better, all these things that the world deems. No, I'm, I'm saying blessed is moving in the trajectory of you becoming more like God. And I just feel like I, I need to remind people often, the whole goal of following Jesus isn't to get something from him, it's to be like him. Because Christians, we're so good at being distracted, where we can look at Jesus as being a genie that if we rub the right way, he'll give us what we want. We can look at Jesus as being a get-out-of-hell-free card. So, yeah, he's grace. It's great. It's awesome. And they go and live whatever way we want. Jesus, no, he is Savior, meaning he saved you from your sin. But he is also Lord, meaning he is King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling and reigning. And the goal of our lives isn't to use him. The goal of our lives is to, add through intentional discipleship and habits and discipline, we become like him. The greatest thing we receive from following God isn't what we get from him. It's who we become in the process of following him. And I feel like some of y'all just, like, just need to be reminded of that because we are so good at being distracted. So when we talk about if, if blessing is not a have, blessing is a who, then we, it's about us becoming more like God. We have to ask honestly deep down, who do we believe God to be? And I don't have time to teach on this a lot, but at the root and core of who God is, God is a giver. Can you say God is a giver? God is a giver. His heart is to give. And one of the things that our world will try to get you to believe is that God is a taker, not a giver. Do you know this is one of the first things that Satan tried to do in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve, right? Just so much of the world could be better understood if we understood Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Let me tell you why. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. It says, in the beginning, God. God spoke and it happened, meaning there was a beginning. There was a creator that had creation, that there was a, did you know God didn't create us because he needed us? God didn't create us because he was bored. God didn't create us because he, we, there, was, there was a hole to fill in God. Because let me get deep, let me get in some deep waters. You guys good with that? What you see in the Bible is that God is three yet one. He is Father, Son, Spirit. There was a word created a couple hundred, uh, a couple hundred years after the Bible that was called Trinity, that the, 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 that simply means three in one to help describe a biblical principle that you see throughout scripture of God being father, son, and spirit, yet being one, meaning that it is this beautiful dance between three, the father, the son, and the spirit. They are separate, they are unique, they are distinct, yet they are one. So God in and of himself has community. God, in, in, in and of himself, he's got this relationship where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are consistently loving and pouring out to each other, where, where it's like this beautiful dance of just love and gratitude and relationship, and it's from that place that God, out of his overflow and love, created the world. Why is this important? Because if you think that God created you because he needed you or God created you because he just wanted someone to serve him, how does that make God look? Like, how does, like, that makes God a, like, 
egocentric, narcissistic God that just wants someone to serve him. God was cool in and of himself. He didn't need us. He was not bored. He was not. No, he created us out of overflow and wanting his creation to experience what he himself in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and, and Spirit had been experiencing throughout eternity. That's, that's so beautiful. That's such deep water, but it's such good water. Why? Because, and then why do you think the first human relationship that God created was what? Marriage. What is marriage deemed as in the Bible? Two becoming what? One. Because he wanted people to experience this, this kind of like mystery and dance of two becoming one because God is three yet one. So he wanted people to, I mean, isn't marriage like that? It's kind of this weird thing where you're trying to get two to become one. It can, it's work. It's a grind. But in the grind, there's so much beauty because you don't lose your, your uniqueness as yourself. Yet at the same time, you come together where you lay down some preferences. You put the other person first. And it's this beautiful dance of two people learning to work together as one. And it's basically what you are learning to do is to love each other the way that God in the Trinity loves the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Does that make sense? And it's through that that God created. So God created, right? So he's giving. He's, he's outward. He provides. He is, he is a giver. So Adam and Eve, they're in this garden. God creates this garden, puts them in the garden. And what is one of the things that Satan comes and says to put a seed in their mind to think about God? They say, well, you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't keep this tree back from you. Because what God said was like, you can, have, you, can have, you, can, you can eat all these trees, but there's one. Keep your hands off of that one. But what did Satan try to get their focus on? The one thing that God said no to. So what were they trying, what was he trying to plant in Adam and Eve's mind? God's a taker, not a giver. He was trying to get them to believe, focus on the one thing that God said no to, and lose sight of all the things that God has said yes to. It's like he wanted them to miss the things that were consistent that God was always giving, and he wanted to put their mind on the one thing that God said no to. Y'all, this is like having kids. Can I get an amen? Because let me tell you what kids do. Is my kid in? Okay, good. Jackson's here. I want to make sure he hears this. <laughs> Love you, Jackson. Is that Jackson? Yeah. Hey, Jackson. Okay. Um, kids many times have no clue what they are consistently given. It literally just becomes like white noise to them. And then there are times where like you tell them, no, I'm sorry, you can't do this. Or there are times where you're like, hey, can I have a fry? Like this happened yesterday. I took my youngest out to McDonald's. It's trash food. I know, don't judge us, but he asked for it. So, and he gives me this look. Like, who are you? I'm like, all right. So I let him know how he got that food. Who bought the food? Whose car did you drive in to get there? Y'all seeing my point? Children forget what is consistently given. And then when they don't get what they are aware of, then they have this mentality to be entitled. 
forgetting the giving that has always been consistent. And if we are not careful, we will treat God the exact same way. The breath you breathe, the clothes you put on, the blood flowing from your, your heart beating, all these things are consistently flowing from God's hand. All these things are consistent, and if we're not careful, we will forget what is consistent and focus on the one thing that we view should be ours, and we deserve it, and we've done this and that, and we'll actually view God as being a taker instead of a giver. We have to be careful, y'all, because we will take one moment where God didn't give us what we wanted, and we'll project on him being a taker instead of viewing all the things that he consistently gives to us couple scriptures, John 3, 16. Everyone knows this. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. And this was pricely. This was, he gave his son. For God so loved the world, he gave. He, he's a giver. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. If, if you need some encouragement this week, read Romans 8 as many times as you can. Why, John? Because it just gives, it, it just lets, it reminds you of who you are in Christ. So many of you forget who you are in Christ. You forget the benefits that come along with following Jesus. And what Romans 8 does is it's like Paul, who's the writer of this book, he's laying out, don't forget these benefits, y'all. Don't forget these benefits. Don't forget them. Like Paul says, says specific things like, yo, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He says, you've been set free from the law of sin and death, that God's given you his Holy Spirit so we can have communication and communion with our Abba Father. He says we're co-heirs with Christ, meaning what Christ earned, we get the benefit of. He says that all things work to the good of those who love God and been called according to his purpose. That simply means that not all things are good that happen, but God is so good. He can take even the not so good that happens and make it work for your good and for his glory. He says we've been chosen by God, justified in his sight, and we'll be glorified in heaven with him one day. He says, talks about all this from verse 1 to 30, and then he gets to verse number 31 and 32, and he says this. What then? He's like, you, like what, what then? Shall we say in response to all these things I've just written? If God is for us, man, who in the heck can be against us? But then he says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously what? Give us all things. I've noticed God many times doesn't, sometimes gives us what we want, but always gives us what we need. Here's the thing. Don't let the brokenness of the world jade the truth that God is a giver. Do not let the brokenness of the world, y'all, you're going to experience loss in this world. Please hear me. Deep loss. Cut to your soul loss. And, and if we're not careful, it can jade us into thinking God's a taker. And it's a fight to believe God's a giver. And I understand many of you, some of you have lost things, people. You've lost jobs. You've lost dreams. You've lost things that have hurt and that have honestly jaded your view of God that even makes you scared to ask him for anything because you don't want to be disappointed or now your view of him is why would 
you've almost got this bit, you know, and, and what I'm saying is feel what you feel. God's not scared of it. But at the same time, be courageous and do the hard work of processing through it with somebody that loves you, believes God's word, and that is going to be a safe place for you that will give you grace and truth. Amen? Because this world will try to shout at you and tell you God is a taker, but don't let the brokenness steal the truth and promise of God's word that he at his core is a giver. Amen? Here's the, here's the thing. We've worked through a definition of blessed, God is a giver. Now we need to work on what the goal of giving is. Before we talk about the goal of giving, I want to talk to you about misguided goals. Because if you don't have the right goal for giving, you will do the right things for the wrong reasons. And that's a true thing we can do, right? So let me talk, talk to you the misguided goals of giving. The first one's this. We give to get. And just, and let's be honest, man. This has been one the church has taught for years. Give and it shall be given. Press down, shaken together. Uh, uh, uh. Running over. You know, doing the church, you know. Like, this is what can happen. <clears throat> or we can, so, so then our giving, like God becomes like a stock market. Almost like a Roth IRA that we give towards with the expectation, I better see some return. Better see it. I'm not giving to this if I don't see a, see a return. And I think that, now let me say this, I believe in the law of sowing and reaping, though. Okay? That's what scripture says plainly. He who sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly. So I do believe that there is this principle that God puts in place. But here's the thing. We can't control the result, but we can control the seed. Where we can throw the seed out, but it's God's job then to grow it. And many times you lose control after that point. But isn't that great? You give and let God do it. Because when you, get control, when, when, when you try to have control, that's when you have anxiety and, and worry is when you try to control what only God can control. Okay? So giving to get, right? Um, so, so we can almost look at like he's a cosmic stock market. We can look at it as... Like, you know, because what I've even seen growing up in the church is my parents, like, were strict tithers, treated the 10% as holy, but then treated the other 90% like hell. So they would say, hey, we're tithing, Lord, and then they would try to cover up their bad stewardship. It's not just about the 10, it's, a, God cares about all of it, y'all. It's not like the 10 is like, well, okay, we get the 10 and let's just not worry. No, it's, it's, it's like it's all matters to him. Like giving with this get mentality doesn't cover up bad stewardship, okay? So that is a misguided goal where you're giving saying, I just want more. Because that means the place you're giving from is that God hasn't already given. Y'all get that? When you have this God, I'm giving, and, and you better give more, you miss the fact that you only have something to give because God gave it to you. So you're not giving from a place of, I give so I can get more. You're giving from a place of all you have to give was given by God anyway. anyway. So the place you give from isn't you want more. The, the place you give from is, I give because God already gave. Okay, secondly, we can give to please others. And I'm just going to fly by, by, I'm just going to fly by this one quick. Because some of you give just to please others. 
And you just think, well, if I'm a giver, I give, then someone else will be happy with it. And you find your approval outside of God himself. You're trying to find it in a finite person that is fickle. Third, thirdly, a wrong, misguided goal is we can give to earn God's approval. Is we can give and we got this goal of, well, I'm trying to get the approval of God because I want his blessing on my life. Let me just tell you this. Your giving does not make you worthy of God's love. Your giving does not make you have more approval. Your approval is set not because of what you give, but because of what Jesus did. Jesus, let me tell you the good, the good news today. Jesus came and lived a life you could not live, a perfect sinless life that was even attested to by his brothers. I've got three sons. Their whole goal right now is to make each other's lives hell. Okay? Like, even Jesus' brother said, this, this, this guy. This, this guy lived it. He's perfect. Lived a life we could not live. Died the death we should have died. Died on the cross in our place and for our sin. That because he never sinned, he didn't have spiritual death that couldn't kill his physical body. So even when he was physically killed, his spirit was alive still. And whenever he went down into the grave, it could not hold him down. So his spirit overtook his body and he rose and defeated Satan, sin, and death, our greatest enemies of anyone. And he defeated death, and then he rose from the dead. And so now, because he did that, he defeated death. He's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Then he can give those keys to anyone that asks him for it. And so if we put our faith and our trust in, in him and receive the good news by grace, meaning it's not something we earn or achieve, it's something we receive, then we are actually given a new identity where we go from sinners to saints enemies of God to friends of God. And so in other words, Jesus gives us the benefit of what he endured and what he won. And so now we don't live for God's approval. You know where we live from? We live from it. So now we're not this thing, I've got to do good things for God to love me. It is you are already loved. Now go and do good things. Because you're coming from a place of acceptance, not from a place of being despised. See, because really, here's the thing. People will even use grace as an excuse not to do things. It's crazy. People will say, well, God gives me grace, and, da, 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 and you'll take that grace, and you won't instill in yourself discipline. So let me tell you what Dallas Willard, you know Dallas Willard, an incredible writer, kind of the Jedi of spiritual formation. He says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Where one of the things as Jesus' grace gets deeper in you and you start to learn how much God loves you, what actually happens is something in your heart shifts to, I'm doing this to earn God's love. You say, now I'm doing it because of God's love. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. Here's the thing. Giving doesn't save us, but it does form us. Any spiritual discipline never saves you, but it has the power to form you. Reading your Bible, praying, giving, whatever, those things do not save you, but they do form you. Are you hearing me? So what I'm saying is not just give, 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 so you can be accepted, accepted, accepted. What I'm saying is give, 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 because the more you give, the more you become like the God who was a giver. And the goal of giving is to be like God. But here's the thing, because we don't earn, because we don't give to earn God's approval, giving becomes something we get to do, not have to do. Even if, if you've become a part of our church, you know even what we ask and require of people who call our church home. Once people complete Life Track, we have what we call the community I get to's. 
because we never wanted anyone to feel like they have to do anything to be a part of our church. What we say is if you want to be a part of, of our church, we believe that, the, that your heart in being in a church should be, I get to do these things. I get to give. I get to serve. I get to go to church. I get to follow Jesus. I, like, I get to, and it's not a heart of I have to. Because when it's a heart of I have to, that isn't coming from a place of the gospel. That's coming from a place of I have to do these things for God to love me. When we want the heart within our church is, man, God's been so good to me. His grace has worked so deeply. It's been so good. So my response to the grace of God is going to be I have to. The grace, the response is going to be I get to. Is this making sense? You guys hearing my heart. My heart is for our church. Actually, hold on. Let's review. You can come up, Jarvis. Let's review really, really quick. Blessed is a who, not a have. We got that definition right. God is a giver, not a taker. The goal of giving is to become like God. So y'all, here's the thing. This isn't about shaking you to get more money out of you. This is to see us individually and corporately shaped and formed to be a people that gives to where when you have situations where you are in the grocery store, yes, groceries are insane, and, and you have got somebody in front of you, and the Holy Spirit says pay for their groceries. And you're going to be like, God, they got two things of eggs. That's like $25. <laughs> you're like, yo, they got three milks. That's, that's like 27 <laughs> Like milk is crazy, right? Like, but but that, that when you hear the voice of God speak, your reaction won't be, well, I'll give for this. I'll, there better be some sort of pay it forward thing behind me. I'll pay for their groceries and they pay for like it's not this whole tit-for-tat game with God. It's not this, this whole, like, well, I'll give if you give, or I'll give so they can see me. I'll, I'll give, you know, because of God, I want you to actually like me more. No, the heart is I give because God is a giver, and because he's given to me, and I want to become more like God, the more I give, the more I become like him. And it becomes this pure motivation. We're just as Lifehouse as a church, Lifehouse as individuals, we're just, as we gather here and as we spread out all, all around the 757, it is just like an army of givers just makes its way into the community. Where we're just, you know, we're using giving as a tool to share the gospel. Where somebody, you know, it's, and, and you can do this so many times. You know, if somebody gives you, you know, you buy someone a drink or you, or you, you buy someone something, just say, God loves you, man. Have a great day. You never know what that will mean for that person. You don't know what they've encountered that day. Just be faithful to throw the seed out, man. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And do you know what I want to reap at the end of my life isn't a bigger house car. I want to reap souls. I want to get to heaven. And I want, because of your giving, because of a church being built on the Yucatan Peninsula, hundreds of thousands of people came to hear the good news of Jesus. Y'all, this is what... This is, this is what we, this is what we we got to be in it for. So, we laid the foundation, y'all. Okay, got blessed. God is a giver. What's the third third thing? The goal of giving is to become like God. Would you stand up with me? Was this helpful? Sort of, kind of. Okay, y'all been quiet, so y'all scaring me a little bit. But then, hey guys, we're gonna celebrate God being a giver by receiving communion together.
Because really, even us receiving communion together, what it simply is, is simply us celebrating the generosity of God. That he, that he gave his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place and for our sin. And when scripture tells us that when we receive communion together, what we're actually doing is we are remembering. We, we are remembering what Jesus did. We're putting the gospel at the centerpiece. And we are remembering that God's a giver who gives good gifts. He who did not spare his own son, will he not also graciously give us all things? I pray you leave today with such hope. Leave today just so loved by God. But leave today knowing your God's a giver. That you would leave today looking for opportunities to give. That your spidey sense, the Holy Spirit's spidey sense, would start to nudge you to pay for some people's stuff. And that we would strive to just be a, a life of givers. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.